0: Hey everyone, bit of a bonus episode for you today This is an episode of Bees with Ben It's an Australian beekeeping podcast hosted by Ben Moore And he's got a business called Ben's Bees Which I'll link here in the episode show notes now, a couple of weeks ago, I was really lucky to be on his podcast and Ben sent me a copy of the episode, so I thought I'd upload it uploaded here. Hope you enjoy. Uh,
1: hello, everybody. Super excited for this episode because in the studio today, uh, Brent Nixon drove all the way down from out South, and got him in the studio. Thank you so much for your time, Brent.
0: Oh, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me.
1: This is awesome. So uh, we've got lots to talk about. This is going to be an interesting episode because we're going to ask, I guess, each other questions. Mm-hmm. And um, But I'm going to go first, mm-hmm. ask you the question. Uh, tell us, how did you get into bees? What was that first bee moment?
0: Mm, yeah, well, I, I grew up as a cattle breeder, so... We had cows, we bred them. We were no longer on the farm, but after that I wanted to continue breeding. So I studied genetics at university. Oh, wow. And I was really looking for that next thing that I could get into for breeding. And uh, bees were – so I don't know if you know much about Gregor Mendel. He's the father of genetics.
1: Yes, yeah, Mendel's Law or something. That's the one I I do. Recessive and co-dominant and all those. Yeah, absolutely. With with the peas. With the pea plants, yeah. The pea plants, plants, yes. Yeah,
0: so short pea plants, big Yes. plants. So he was a beekeeper. Oh, and he I did not know that. Yeah, he was. And okay. so he was a monk and um you know all at that time most bees were kept at monasteries because they were using the the beeswax for, you know, all the monastery stuff. Okay. And so a lot of bees were kept at monasteries and they were doing a lot of the research on bees. And so Mendel, he sort of started the work and he was really into it, but he Never really got to that point of understanding breeding. And so I thought that's a, that's a good place to follow on from. And actually, Brother Adam, he sort of followed on from Mendel's work.
1: Oh. So
0: Mendel, he tried breeding within a cage. So he was, he was having queens released from mating nukes sort of thing okay. into a cage, like a net, and trying to mate them that way. Okay, didn't really work. So he his work was kind of carried on by Brother Adam and I was really interested in all that stuff, learning it at uni and you know, it's a very, very complicated bee breeding. It's not like, you know, normal animal yes. sort of breeding where you just have, you know, you get a male and a female and you kind of work on the lines. As you know, with the queen, she can mate with many different drones. So you've it's very difficult to control, very interesting. Yes. So I was looking at getting into um, beekeeping after I got married, we, we bought a property down Geelong, Okay, Geelong cool. and it's time to get into get my bees, you know, and my wife's uncle was a beekeeper. So it ah. was, uh, he sort of, I was talking to her, I said, look, I really want to start a new breeding program. I'm thinking bees are the thing I can use to do, do my breeding program. And he said, well, next time they swarm, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll help you out and get you some bees. And at that stage, my knowledge was only theoretical. Okay. So I knew you know how the gene the genes worked. I knew the history, you know, with Mendel and Brother Adam and yes. read a lot of books about it, but I'd never actually been in a beehive. Okay. So I didn't know anything about them. And so my uncle, or my wife's uncle, sorry, went over there and there was a swarm. It was about ten meters up a tree. Yes. And he's like, We're gonna catch this swarm okay. and that's your first beehive. Yeah, love it. And so he, he he gave me a half size suit, you know, there's one of those ones that's top up. Yes. And um he went up the tree and started he shaking the tree. He's like, all right, what you want to do is you want to try and get the queen bee in the box. So he gave me a slab box, you know, a VB slab yeah, baby, box. Yeah, VB slab box. And it was, 10, you know, it was about 10 metres, I'd say, maybe eight metres up. And He said, just try and catch the queen. I'm like, what's he talking yeah, about? That's yeah. <laughs> well, he must know what he's talking about. So he's shaking it. The bees just sort of drop down in a big clump, as you know. They'll drop down and, uh, and I got some of them in the box, but not really. Most of them out of my head. And they're just everywhere. And so he's like, did you catch the queen? And I, was like, I don't that's know. It. So at this stage is about eight o'clock at night. Yes. And a pretty dark. And uh, I, th- I think we actually did. And, he, and, and so he, he said, put the box down and, and and the rest will go in. And and, and actually put the box down. And they, they really just came in. I thought, geez, that's magic. That's, yeah. You know, he really did know what he was talking about. And uh, so we sort of waited an hour, had a good old chat and boxed it up and, put it in my Corolla hatchback and took yes. it away and that was started beekeeping. That was about it's about eight years ago.
1: Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, that's fantastic. I'm going to jump in another another question because we're going to put in the show notes. Um, well, also too, you've got – actually before I sort of get into the Facebook page – is um you've got a podcast too yes yes Yes. tell us about that because it's the more podcasts on bees the absolute awesome it is so so uh, what's that podcast
0: so my podcast is called breeding the honeybee it's after brother adam's book okay so brother adam who was a monk in, in buckfast england yes he had a book called breeding the honeybee which is a really really interesting book it's quite a a heavy book so if you're really interested in breeding, it might not be the first book that you want to read. Yes. It's, sort of, it's quite detailed and uh, I don't think he was he was sort of interested in sort of going into much of the the broader range of beekeeping. It was just very, very solid breeding type stuff. Yes. So it's a cool book. Um, so read that book, loved it, named the podcast after it and I, inter- I interview breeders all around the world. So okay. I think I've got 11 episodes at the moment. Awesome. And uh, So we talk about... And different breeding styles. There's a few episodes in there via uh, Varroa Sensitive Hygiene, which is a really interesting thing, particularly at the moment in Australia. Yeah, of course. You know, we don't know which way it's going to go. And there's some programs out there. Corinne Jordan's got that really cool program that she started. And uh, so we're not sure which way it's going to go. DPI doing a great job, but we might be sort of looking down that path. So I've got a few uh, episodes on that. Uh, I've got a few episodes uh, from other people in the States, you know, some commercial stuff. Um, some people in New Zealand talking about what they've got over there. Ray Butler, she is the Varroa sensitive hygiene breeder in in New Zealand. Okay. So some interesting stuff that she's been talking about. And uh, also i've I've got an interview there from uh, Buckfast Abbey, ah. which is you know one of the main places in the around the world for beekeeping. Yeah, that's right. So the head of beekeeping there, Claire Densley, she's she's on there, so it's ah uh, it's been fun. You know, that is
1: awesome I mean, so everyone check that out because that sounds uh, absolutely uh absolutely brilliant absolutely mm. fantastic all right question for me far away brent
0: yeah so i i would have covered talk to ben about and you know his experiences like with queen bees and stuff like that but i thought it'd also be really cool to talk a little bit about your business what you've been up to and i think i'll just take a moment to set the scene here i'm in this I'm in this factory in Nunawading. It's a really cool place. He's got a little podcast studio here with some amazing artworks on the walls, and it's a really cool space. And we've got the factory with all the all the cool beekeeping stuff out there. It's 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 great. And and then we've got a truck and two two other smaller vehicles completely covered in. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. You've got this uh, the, the the beekeeper number plates and uh, all of the all the bee artwork. So it's impossible to miss Ben's place up here. Uh, when I was driving it there's all of these factories that it's all right. It's, fa- it's factory. It's, it's in the middle. You you'll see it, and you really do. Every every other factory is grey, black tinted windows. All right, not that one. Not that. And then it's just Ben's bees, <laughs> yeah. massive, and you got all the trucks and everything. And you, you can't miss it. It's a really cool space you got here. Yeah,
1: thank you. Yeah, and, uh, it's handy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd, I th- it would be cool for listeners to know a little bit about how how it is you got into beekeeping initially. So we've we've all seen the photo that you've got. I have seen it on Instagram a few times of you when you're a little kid. Yes, and you've got your beehives. Yes. So, how did it start? From, from there, where how did how did it go? Getting you to as a as a business.
1: Oh, as a, as a business. So, it started off me keeping bees, and I was about oh, I was about 10, 11 years old. And it's only actually recently, Brent, that my mum found this book, and it's the uh, Beekeeping UK. Mm. And uh, that was, I guess, my first introduction to this interest and fascination in regards to bees, was this book. But was, uh, I was 14, uh, grew up as an only child out in the Yarra Valley, a little town called Seville, and I said to mum and dad, I don't want a puppy or a kitten, I wanted a beehive. And had to save up my own money. My mum's uh, my mum's a pom, so she's a bit uh, tired on the old uh, <laughs> on the old uh, pesos, <laughs> the old uh, dollars. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I had to save up my own money, which I was doing fruit picking. I started working at a young age, and uh, I had sixty dollars and bought myself a beehive, and that sort of started that journey into bees uh, with me. The beekeeper, his name was Benjamin Cox, and he delivered those uh, bees for me, and that sort of I think it was about. Yeah, eighteen months later, actually died. That, but that sort of started my um, my life into the sort of the world of bees. Now, fast forward the clock, um, two thousand and eight. You know I mean, I sort of always had bees a little bit on and off. I've done a lot of travelling and lived different places. And two thousand and eight, I started sort of getting right into it. You know, what I mean, started you know, building up those numbers and keeping bees, and it sort of started to sort of take over you know doing the swarms and I was sort of doing a bit of liquid all sorts so the business you know i mean now when i say we say business i tell you now you know i work for the bees it's not the other way around mm-hmm. <laughs> so i really do so so it's a business but i suppose I, how i've sort of created myself a successful business is the diversification mm. being so diverse on everything so diverse from you know beeswax candles to pest control you know, being European wasps because a lot of the city slickers don't know the difference. So so that's created sort of that business. Um, very consuming. It's definitely not for everyone because it literally is you know, seven days a week, which is fine. You know what I mean, I absolutely love what I do. absolutely love it. Um, but it is really sort of diverse in aspect. So um, I suppose, yeah, that's kind of the the business in a nutshell as to – what I've sort of created.
0: Mm. So you started off with swarms, doing catching some swarms, doing some removals, that type of yeah. thing. Yeah, selling, selling nukes.
1: Yes, yes yeah. So I started off selling those, um, you know, selling uh, nukes and that type of thing. So yeah, so that sort of started. and Just gradually, you know, word got out there. That was sort of back when I used to advertise in newspapers. Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, it was, you know, in the local in the local rag leader um you know advertising that and it was really sort of taken off because it's obviously interest it was way before i suppose flow hive Mm. because that's what created that explosion you know i mean Mm. and that's which has been great that sort of education and the interest in the bees people with flow hive has been brilliant so that's what created that um which has been absolutely exponential which Mm. is in that sort of side of things so yeah, so it was sort of that liquid all sorts, and then just and I remember making candles, you know, in the kitchen, and just like crap and wax and everywhere. So in the kitchen, and, oh, in the kitchen, really? I was, oh yeah, wax, and I had lino floors, and trying trying to get you know wax off, you know, when it's thin, it's alright. When it's thick, because it, you can scrape it off quite easy you know, and lino floors. It was just yeah, but that was it's like anything. You got to start off, you got to do your apprenticeship. Mm. You know I mean, I still think I'm an apprentice beekeeper because there's always something to do, something to learn. Um, so, yeah, that's
0: uh, – I try to keep the beeswax out of the kitchen these days because I think I messed up the plumbing in my first house. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it just – you know, when it's in its liquid form, it's fine. But once it, once it it cools down, it can be a bit of a problem. I think some of it got down the sink and the sink didn't work properly after that. And I didn't realise for a few years it was probably that beeswax.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know what's interesting as well, bringing that up, you've got to watch actually – let's say you've got honey – and uh, diluted honey can't go down the drain into if you've got a septic tank because mm. it actually disrupts the those beneficial bacteria in the in the septic tanks. Oh yeah, really? and okay. I did not know this. Yeah, I didn't know. it No, no. and that's a few beekeepers I know they've actually have to run it out somewhere else or put it in a separate tank because if you've got honey because it's obviously it's got all those you know the enzymes and everything those good natural properties. The honey can actually disrupt the balance of a septic tank.
0: Mm. Mm. I think it'd be cool for listeners to know also. So when you, you obviously would have started as a sideliner with your business, and uh, you know selling some nucleuses and all that kind of stuff, and doing the the wax candles and what? what so what was it like transitioning from doing that as a sideline business to starting it as a full time sort of business, like it is now? Mm. Was that a hard transition? Oh,
1: hundred percent. It was. Uh, to be honest, it was brutal. It was actually brutal because it's – the problem is with this gig is it's so seasonal. Mm. You know what I mean? It's You've got, you know, spring, you know, you've got pollination, you get paid for some, you know, various crops. Summertime, you've got, you know, honey crops coming through and then wintertime, yeah, okay, you sell a bit of honey but and there's nothing. So it was very difficult in that aspect. Um, I, I remember it was quite a few – must be six, seven years ago when I got my first – employee it was actually off a um a tv program a reality tv show called my dream job and i was on that they asked me they were, i think they had like a someone who worked in real estate it was on channel nine and uh had peter and peter was a podiatrist mm. and he wanted to he kept a few hives had half a dozen hives and he come and um helped with uh with me and and actually on this tv show it actually gave him a job on the tv show it was the only person that had done that and I think you can find it on YouTube, and it was pretty cool. Anyway, so um, but it was brutal in the sense of you know having a full time wage well two, you know, mine and his, during winter time, mm. and the money go going backwards in the rate of knots. And I'll never forget. Then I had a credit card with a forty thousand dollar limit, and and this happened actually quite for quite a few years, where I ticked that up, and you imagine the interest for payments on that. You know, I think it's 17, 18 percent and being that sort of in debt and then just getting through to, like, September, October and then pay that credit card off and that same process would happen the next year. So, you know, you got little, money in. A little less each year. A little less each year, that's mm. right. So it's really difficult because the problem is with bees, when we look at it on a business aspect, is the equipment you need. Mm. I mean, you need yep. so much equipment. You know what I mean, and you can't... And, and you've got to grow naturally. You know I mean, if you grow... You know, too fast, too quick, which has been quite a few beekeepers I've seen over the years go hard and fast, too quick, and they fall over. It's not easy. Like, you know, And I think just growing organically and naturally is, is the way to do it. So it is, yeah, it's difficult. It is difficult, but it is those hurdles um, that you get through and finding your feet, finding what works is definitely, um, you know, I suppose it's the whole turtle and the rabbit race really is um yeah just go nice and slow
0: take the next step forward see how that goes sometimes as you know, oh, maybe step back here step forward another way and keep going and, and see how you go exactly that way, you that's know? right brent yeah, exactly and then exactly. every step you take takes a bit more money as well so exactly yeah exactly <laughs> exactly you know, that's uh, the, the fun thing about business and that's uh, for me that's what it was like with the breeding uh, initially, I was just sort of raising queens for my friends, Yes. and once I started bringing in breeding stock from other places, and you know those those breeders are expensive, and that's when I thought, okay, you know, time to start selling them and you know increasing the business that yeah. way, just so I could keep doing it for myself, really. Um, but that's that's something that happens, you know, you have to take that step forward.
1: That's right, exactly.
0: Um, that is so right. When you when you sort of started doing as a business, uh, what did you have some funny? experiences like funny stories from that time just so of, of learning the business and
1: oh just just probably being massively in debt mm. you know what i mean and just going wow this is a black hole how can i get out of that you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's you know what i mean that uh, happened so so um and then seeing but seeing just pushing on pushing on pushing on learning and doing things um. yeah it's sort of I suppose funny experiences you know, there's there's been there's been lots I was sort of fortunate enough to do a lot of I think back then I sort of don't have much time now to do it because I'm really focusing on that and sort of you know once again buying more equipment and things but was lucky enough to do a lot of tv media work which was really good which I thoroughly enjoyed you know mm. what I mean there was even, unfortunately, just the start of COVID, there's another reality TV show. It was called Healthy Homes. And it got axed because um, of COVID. But we're doing some filming for that. Um, but the, the whole media side of things, because it's a very, I love that industry. And and I've I'd, I'd sort of done it pre, prior to, you know, Bees, because I was sort of working at a pet shop. And um, actually, funny story. This is, you just reminded me. And there was for neighbours, and uh, there was this scene where they needed a rat to jump out of this barbecue. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yep. so, so I had this rat. So I, did, I had this baby rat. I had three months to train this rat, all right? I know it's a bit of a, a sidestep from me. You bees. had the rat. Yeah, I had the rat. So I had this. I got this baby rat. and you uh, worked at the pet shop. Yes, yeah. Okay, and, I, right. and I kept it at home, yep. Handle it all the time, this beautiful rat. You know what I mean? It was friendly and I loved this rat. I even named it after myself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this rat. Anyway, so and because it's good coin like when it comes to media stuff it's often you get whew, unbelievable you know, i mean you can see why these you know these um like chris hemsworth and that make millions of dollars because it's insane the amount of money they make so
0: so you get, a little barbecue stage set up out the yeah, back so a little prop stage that's yeah well they're their actual um <laughs> little green screen behind it. <laughs> Yeah, i
1: think it's Fremantle medias or something he's up the road in another uh, wadding yeah so um, the big day, it's it was going to be about approximately two hours there with this rat. Put this rat in the barbecue, and they make it look natural because they all greased up, so it doesn't look it's brand new. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. anyway, I put this rat in there and put the lid down, and we're going to do this film. I had to do a few takes. You know, I've opened up the lid of the barbecue, and there's this rat. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> me and my um, lack of animal training, I had this rat in there, and when I opened the lid, maybe from being dark to light, it scared it. And, and and it got a bit scared this this rat anyway this rat bit me all right and it was like it was pissed off it was angry and it bit me and i was bleeding like a stuck pig and here i am you know trying to act cool you be know, professional. And be professional and i got this blood just driven off me so then then there's all this you know, we're, we're dealing with the world of you know oh and s and there was a big drama and Incident reports and all this. I'm trying to cover this. This, you know, what I mean, I had me sleeve, you know, trying to soak this, this blood. But anyway, they got the shoot and it aired the TV, and the rat was good as gold. Mm. You know, the rat was uh, went on to live. I gave that to a uh, a friend's uh, daughter who uh, looked after this uh, this famous little rat. So yeah, so that was um yeah, it was kind of kind of cool. But yeah, the whole media side of things, I love. You know, what I mean, because it is very interesting as far as you know, behind the scenes of production and directing and all that type of thing.
0: Mm. It is funny when you have to act professional in a, in a situation like that. I remember when I was sort of building up my hives initially, I was doing it by doing removals, relocations of established hives mainly. And it was one of the first ones I was doing and I found that people were really interested in, in participating. Yes. So I had a few bee suits yeah. and I sort of said, okay, yeah, I've got this bee suit for you and you can hold a smoker and we'll do it together. And uh, at the time was just very busy as you said it's a, it's you know you don't have much time to do beekeeping and i was i was trying to do things you know quickly but professionally and uh sometimes i'd take a few shortcuts and in this particular day um here we were doing a removal and um like i started getting stung on the neck and i thought oh, you know yeah. they've gotten in somewhere yeah. and uh and the guy who was working with me he was holding the smoke and he's like oh you get a sting did you and uh and i said yeah they sometimes get in yeah. and uh and he's like Maybe it's because your suit's open. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it was completely open. You know, I only I just, I just had my veil on, and the whole suit was completely open. This really, really feral, like angry yes. hive, and they were just all getting it. I was like, oh yeah, that's uh, I might you know try to be a professional professional. Well, I was just step away here, and uh, as soon as I got out of view, I ran. <laughs> yeah, I know it's yeah, it, it,
1: it's funny those stories of um, getting stung in the um, in the yeah the, the, the general public. Yeah. And they actually see a similar yeah. one where, and I'll never forget, it was in Hawthorne, Swarm. It was in one of those um, is it Poinciata, Poinciata hedges, Poinciata. I've forgotten the name of the botanical name, but you know those hedges got the small fine leaves. Poinciata. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's one yep. of those. Yep. So Swarm was in there. It was an overcast day. I'll never forget this. So grab me a box and I'm a, I'm a big gun-ho. I don't know. I think I've got ADHD or something. <laughs> so so I go in there, grab the box and I shake these bees in. And a few people walking because it's a busy side of town in Hawthorne. And a few people were saying, you know, um, I shake these bees in and they went ballistic. And I was not wearing a veil or anything. and I swarm. It's ha- a swarm, a swarm yeah. yeah. And I got absolutely hammered. They must have been hungry or starving this morning because they were feral. Yeah,
0: that's not <coughs> normal, is it? No, it's not. No, hard. that's
1: right. I think there'd been weather and so forth and absolutely hammered. And just that walking away to go get my, uh, my veil and just pulling out these bee stings because there's a few people watching so you gotta act that sort of cool calm and collected yeah, it's, oh, t- the few stings, like, yeah or, exactly <laughs> and i was just in pain exactly because i heard yeah i mean it's kind of especially in the face they tickle yeah so yeah so that was that reminded me of that story but um so so question Brett. so your your profession you're a teacher yes
0: yes, yes. yes. yeah school teacher school te- yes.
1: little kids or big kids
0: uh secondary secondary yeah yeah yes, So yeah yeah I teach science and and german
1: Oh, giant! Uh, science of German. Yes, awesome. Yeah. Now, this day and age, you're not allowed to hit the kids anymore, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, definitely not. That's, it's uh,
0: but, uh, yeah. That is a long time in the past. Yeah. Well, I used to get a, hit. Was it when you when you were a kid? People could still do it. Oh, 100 percent. And not do it. Oh, no, that's absolutely yeah. not.
1: That's, yeah, even across the face. Okay. That's, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. It is. It is brutal. Uh, but I'm sure you've probably got one kid in the in the class you'd love to give him a bit of a smack.
0: Oh, I think, no, I think, I it's not really. It's right. like, I mean, it's, it, t- teaching is a challenge. Yes. But, oh, definitely. um, it's, it's one of those things and, and there's a lot of teachers out there. It's a big profession. And, yes. and so people listening to this, you know, there's going to be, and there's a lot of teachers who are beekeepers. You would know that it's, it's, you know, at the end of the summer holidays, you miss it. You know, yeah, you're just like, oh, yeah. I really want to get back in the classroom. Yeah. Because, okay, cool. You know, cool. the kids are, the kids are great. They're great to work with. And, um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, a bit of behavior and stuff yeah. like that. But it's you know, it's 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 lively, it's fun, it's 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 it really is a fantastic job. Yeah, that's you awesome. Know, I really recommend it. Anyone here you know, in who's listening to the thinking of a career, best career.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I gotta say, I'll apologise now to my teachers, um, Mr. Spalding. Um, because I was a naughty little prick of a kid, <laughs> it's It um, really, really was. I was cheeky, uh, not destructive, but just cheeky. So it's um, <laughs> so. I'll apologise. P- right, now. but that Mrs. was Mr yeah. Spalding, Mr Spal- he Dean probably, Spalding,
0: Dean Spalding. Pr- you're probably his favourite student. Yeah, you know? well, I'll be
1: the one that he remembers. That's for sure. Yeah. No, no <laughs>
0: seriously, though, some of those times like you. you you know, students will come up to me from the past and was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I missed the Knicks. I was such a bad student." I was like, Are "You kidding? You were the, one of the best students I had. So much fun!" Yeah, you know, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised.
1: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, now, as I said, we said before at the introduction. Um, awesome Facebook page, which has absolutely grown exponentially is um and I'll, we'll put this in the the show notes too queen bee rearing australia yeah the facebook group yeah. yeah the facebook group so um when did you start that and why did you start it brent
0: um so something that i've been interested in doing for a long time uh is uh helping people raise their own queens so cool. i've always been a big advocate for encouraging people to raise their own queens give it a try and uh, over the years you know i sell queens to people it's a it's a little sideline business yeah, of so awesome. doing the breeding and selling queens. And a lot of times um, I'll just say to people, look, you should give this a go. And there seems to be a bit of a barrier to people doing that. They don't really want it to give it a try. And so I've got the podcast, so that helps a little bit with people. And uh, here in Australia, I wanted to start this group, at Queen Beer in Australia, just to get people to to get together, share their experiences. And it actually, I think it was pretty good timing because it started the group about a month before the Varroa Oh, okay. Uh, discovery of yes. Roa, okay. So all of a sudden, uh, Tassie shut down. You know they weren't yes. taking queens. No, that's right. Yeah, uh, a lot of places, a lot of the breeders, like a lot of the breeding stock up in New South Wales, there th- was sort of it was a bit iffy if we were going yep. to be able to get get yep. that, and I wasn't able to get of queens um, from that area, and so you know all of a sudden people were, you know, they were in a position where they had to start. You know, mm. There's no choice, especially in Tassie. Mm. So it was really good to be able to have that space. Um, where we could, we, we could, get people in and give them some advice, encourage people. So that's been really good. So there was a lot of people coming to it during that time and uh, I've got a few people helping out with that. Steph Parsons, who. yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's cool. Yeah. And, and Laura Patmore, she's uh, from up in New South Wales. And so, you know, we, we have this group and so if you're out there and you want to have a go at raising your own Queens. If you, it's, it's actually in my, in my experience, it's the most fun thing you can do as a beekeeper, yeah. I think, you know, okay. raising queens. It's really, really interesting. So if you want to give it a try, jump on the group and we'll help you out. And uh, I think it's a, it's a cool thing to do. Now, as, as someone who deals a lot with the public Ben, do you find, what, well, what do you think the biggest barrier people have for, for giving it a go is?
1: Oh, it's probably the anxiety that bees sting. Is there, and, and I mean, co- I mean breeding. Like, oh, breeding. Sorry, sorry, breeding in the queens.
0: Breeding, not just raising your own. Queens. Oh,
1: sorry, queens. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. Okay. So as far as why that is, probably looking at you know, I mean, there's a lot to it. To go, okay. How do I do that? Do I need all this specialized equipment? Do I need? How can I actually produce a queen? It's probably the lack of knowledge. You know, what I mean, if we look at say, the the general public, um, is the the lack of knowledge and also thinking they need you know. 10 20 boxes in order to breed queens so um there's that, that would be probably the number one point number two i think a lot of these people especially ones that are dealing with you know running one or two hives is they the lack of time on their part you know i mean it could be a, a doctor surgeon orthodontist or someone like that who doesn't have the time to actually breed them mm-hmm. so um so yeah that would be the second point point-hmm mm.
0: Yeah, well, there's some really interesting methods that you can try. So you actually don't need a lot of specialised equipment to raise queens. Yes, yes. Um, so you can use different methods. There's um, the laying cage. Have you ever seen the laying cage? No. Tell so, us about that. Yeah, so uh, Genta have... Oh, Genta, the, yes. The Genta and and cage. Nicot.
1: Nicot, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, the Nicot, 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 well, NICOT Yeah. The Nicot, Nicot, yes, yeah.
0: Um, maybe you're pronouncing it right. I've only No, I don't know. yeah. <laughs> P- potato, potato or whatever yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. Castle, castle. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So you, so you can use the land cage and there's a really uh, well-known queen breeder in the UK, Duncan Simmons. I've had him on the podcast. Okay. He swears by the lane cage. So he's probably one of the most well-known breeders in the UK, loves using the lane cage. And what this cage is, it's a little square cage. It's about 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, maybe a bit bigger. Yep. And um, you put it in the middle of a frame. Some people put it in, they sort of put it into a plastic frame, cut a hole in a plastic frame yes, put it yes, in there. Yep. Some people put it in a wax frame. And basically you put the queen into the laying cage and she lays in these little cups, which you can then put into a bigger kind of cup and then put them on a cell bar and they hang upside down. And if you're, engrafting grafting is a difficult thing to do. Mm, definitely. It, it's, it's quite easy once you've had practice. But in the beginning, it can be difficult. Yes. So if you don't want to sort of put in the time to learn how to graft or if you've, you know, maybe it's your eyesight or something like that, the laying cage is a really cool thing and you can you can get really, really good larvae from that. So And, and another good thing, and this is something Duncan taught me, is that, you know, it's less interference because yes. you can actually touch the larvae. Yeah, that's right. So that's exactly. another yes. good thing. So you can use those which are really cool. And he had an interesting tip for me when he was talking to me. He said that he keeps them in the hive the whole time. Ah, the the actual kits, like the gender kit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So because some people I've tried, I've talked to over the years have said they had no success with them, but, he said the reason why is because they take them straight out of the packet and put yes. them in a hive. The bees don't like it. They, no. they don't like the smell. Yes. They don't yep. trust it. So he keeps his laying cages in the hives at all times. Ah, okay. So that if you're going to try out a laying cage, that's what you can do. You can also use this method. It's called the Miller method. Have you ever heard of that?
1: Yeah, I have. Yeah, tell us about that.
0: That's a cool thing. So you can take a, uh, a frame that's got eggs in it, or well, a frame right from the middle of the yep. brood nest, yep. And you can cut these little V shapes in the bottom. So I think two works the best, the most efficient approach. So you cut two Vs and it looks like a little sort of squiggly line, like a thunderbolt or something like that, a lightning bolt. And then you put it back into the hive and the bees will draw queen cells from them. It's just something to do with the angle. It's been discovered that they will draw all these queen cells on the bottom of the Vs. Okay. So you can actually then cut those out and put them into some mating nukes. So, and with mating nukes, you can get the little polystyrene mating nukes, yes. which are pretty good. Yep. You can make your own mating nukes like I use, which is a sort of a queen castle, you know, where you uh, partition a hive into, oh, okay. yes. into yep. four or In three the, different the, yep. you know sections? Use the, yep. yeah, sections and use the frames. So then you can take the queen cells out and uh, raise them that way. So, and then there's also walkway sli- uh, splits. Yes. So that's, um, you know, that's how you would do a normal split anyway but you could split it into four and say raise some queens that way. So there's, there's many different ways that you can look at it. And it's, it's a fun thing. And if you've got a really nice queen that you could use from your apiary, and this is what I did initially before I started bringing in breeding stock, is I was just breeding from my, my favourite queens. And so if you've got a really nice queen, mm. it's, a, it's a great way of uh, sort of having some more fun in, in the beekeeping experience and, and getting some some free queens. It's, it's it's good.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And what about, what's your thoughts, Brent, on drones? Like having like drone mothers? Are you sort of, obviously we can get pretty, you know, Queen can get technical, you know, into artificial insemination, go that other spectrum, that other that other side of things. But you know, what about drones? Because sometimes, and I notice here in Victoria, you know, we want queens early. You know, start of September would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes the lack of drones. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: So um, at the start of spring, it's really interesting. I'll never forget the very first time that I looked in. So I got my first beehive in the middle of sort of the late spring, you know, with yep. my swarm and yep. worked on it over summer. And, you know, I was sort of reading the books and checking all these things and it was really cool. Saw some drones, but it wasn't anything compared to the start of spring, you know. Yes. So I I'd put a lot of hives on canola at the start of spring and that will bring in the drone numbers yeah. Massively. You know? yes. So I'll never, I'll never forget the first time in Star Spring, sort of midway through that canola period, pulling out a frame and just seeing drones absolutely yes. everywhere. Yes. So sort of, I think that, you know, a couple of weeks into spring, you're going to have a fair few drones around. Yes. Even if it's in the middle of the city, it's not a big issue. And I'm able to still, even in Victoria where it's really cold, in Ballarat and I was previously in Geelong – I, I still find that there's a fair few drones still... You can get drones in May. Mm. They're, st- they're still around. Yes, yeah So it's not... There's definitely none now. Well, I haven't seen any at the moment floating around. But, you know, I don't think it's a big issue. But one thing that a lot of people will do if they're raising their own queens is they'll do a drone saturation. Okay. So they'll have some hives where they'll put in drone comb. Yes. And uh, get particular what are called drone mothers, which is these queens that are, have the good genetics and they're going to lay lots and lots of drones and that's what i do i have an area where i've got a bunch of hives with good drone mothers and i have drone comb in there so i'm getting as many of my own drones in the area as possible and that i can do that because that's a, that's a focus of mine and the average person probably can't do that Yes, but yep. i think that in terms of drones there's going to be plenty out there and in a city condition i think that there's there's more than enough drones for that yeah for definitely need. especially yeah. if you're doing it late spring early summer there's, there's drones everywhere
1: Yes, mm. is and any negative side? Let's say someone wanting to you know, breed a couple of queens. What would be you know the two biggest challenges you think they'd have doing it in their backyard? Uh, I
0: think the uh, the the I think the the first thing is that a lot of people don't try it, and so there's not a lot of people to talk to mm. about yep. it. And uh, you know, a lot of people just buy their queens, and so you know that's why we started the facebook group so people could sort of learn and and share ideas and things like that so that'd be number one and the second one would be having the breeding stock yeah so you can produce some pretty good queens from from your own stock if you have some really really good um, bees and you really like them but if you don't buying in a queen is always a good way of doing it as well and you can improve the genetics pretty much straight away um, by buying in queens so not necessary Mm. you can you can can raise great queens from your own stock but if you if you're getting a breeder queen you know something like that you can increase and and it might be something that you're looking for you might be looking for more honey production or in my case I really like gentle bees so I've been from from the very day I started beekeeping I've been really obsessed with not wearing a suit yeah that was a big problem it's, for it's, me in the early days yes yeah because I was uh, I didn't really understand the impact of good genetics in that regard. Yes. so if you're someone out there who, who doesn't like wearing a suit and you want to really calm bees, it is very important to have good genetics. And uh, so initially when I was with you know keeping bees, saw these videos of brother Adam, you know, the, the monk from, from England yes, then, yeah. and a bunch of other people on YouTube wearing no suit and being completely fine. I thought, How are they doing this? You know? And then I, I, sort of later discovered through having some, some good breeding stock coming in that it, it has a big part to do with it is uh, breeding stock and having good genetics. So that, that's a good thing. If you are planning to get in, into queen raising, it is probably good to invest in a good breeder queen and, in that regard, I think it's really good to get a few friends involved so you can spread those costs. You know, maybe if a, this is something that I haven't really heard of clubs doing this, but I think it would be a really cool thing if clubs were to get their own sort of little team and work together and share the breeding stock and I think that would really, really help spread those costs. Oh,
1: agree. You know I mean? It's, it would be awesome for clubs to sort of get into it. Mm. You know I mean, and do it on a really sort of, you know, uh, level because that's going to help. Mm. You know what I mean? And people, I suppose the recreational amateur beekeeper is going to have more understanding about their hive Mm -hmm. because it's just you know i mean having bees in a colony and it's one thing and maintaining that over a year but actually going okay queens you know they need to put a queen in there or produce their own hives or more numbers because you know generally speaking a lot of beekeepers start off with one and end up with uh, end up with a hundred so um yeah very interesting and
0: local stock so yes. if you're raising your own queens, they're also going to go out there and mate with local stock. So they're going to be well suited to yes. your local conditions. I agree. So that's a really important thing. I think it's important for Tasmania and Victoria where we have colder conditions, wetter conditions. So having mm. local stock that's oh, going to I adapt agree. throughout that time is, is is pretty important too.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree. No, I certainly agree. Brent. Um, and what about the, I suppose, the beekeeping industry? You know what I mean? Obviously, we've got Varra. Which is interesting. What's your thoughts? What, where where do you see it in the next two to five years? You know, bees as an industry, both commercially and you know, recreational beekeepers.
0: With considering Varroa is going yeah. to take hold. Oh uh, yeah, well,
1: is it? What do you think? What's your uh, if you're a gambling man? Are we are we stuck with Varroa, or do you think it's um, or oh, the the good team at the DPI can get rid of it?
0: I've I've been absolutely amazed at their response. I think they've done an incredible job. And uh, I think that they've got a good shot at beating it. But having said that, a lot of people I speak to in the States say, you know, good you luck. Get, yeah, get yeah, get prepared. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you're talking to people in New Zealand, in the States, and when it came in for them and how it took hold. They've, you know, they've, they've learned to deal with it. Yeah. And so I think we can learn too. But I really think, I really stand behind DPI and think that they will continue to do a good job. And uh, I'm really. I think that they, they, they've got a good shot at beating it. Yes, yeah. Yeah,
1: it, yeah no, I agree. And they're doing an awesome job. I've, I've um, said before, the volunteers, you know what I mean, they're really just working hard, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And for that, um, I'm very appreciative and grateful. Mm-hmm. To crew. It. Um, but that, in terms you
0: know, of, you know, we've got some fantastic breeders here in this country, bee breeders, and I think that over the next couple of years, it'll be, it'll be good for... To see a few more start as well. Yeah, okay. um, But we've got some really, really, really cool breeders here. We've got, um, you know, you had Corinne Jordan on the show. Yes. She's doing the artificial insemination. and yeah, awesome. she And yes. she has, yes. she's well known for the uh, for the, uh, Cordovan queens. Yeah, she's yep. really cool. Yes, yeah. The, yep. the yep. Italian queen bees. And we've got some really cool stuff happening over in WA with the Rottenest Breeding Program. Yeah. Uh, that, that is a really cool the island mating. And so it'll be, and there's some new. beekeepers getting into that so every year they've got new members going into it and and uh, starting the breeding program and a lot of people don't know that you can actually get rotten nest breeders here in victoria yes you can can have them sent over yes so uh, we've got some some people over there um steve steve uh, from steve's queens he he, he he will send you s queens, so you yeah. can get them here in Victoria. I've got some. I'm, I'm really, yeah,
1: got some messing around with them at the moment. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. So it's, I got some in just after January. Yes, and uh, so we'll see how they go over winter. Okay. Yeah, but nice, beautiful looking bee, nice and yeah. calm. So, but I, I, that's as bad as all I can say for this stage because the winter time can be, as you're saying, it's cold. It can be tough, but so is you know, Rotteness Island is. I think it's on that similar latitude.
0: Yeah, a yeah. bit higher.
1: Is it a bit higher? So they're a bit higher. Yes. Are they a bit higher, or a lot higher? Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I just—it's
1: <laughs> interesting because I think Perth is very yeah similar. Obviously, I know it's a bit. This right, island's
0: a bit north of uh, Perth mm. on
1: the on the west coast, but yeah, which is kind of um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, so I've got some first time.
0: Yeah, it's a perfect space over there for 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 breeding because it's just far enough away that the drones and the queens can't meet up in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, you, whatever's over there, it's it's just what they bring over there. And they, they do the Italian bee there. They don't yes. have the cordovan gene in WA. Yes. So everything they breed is just the straight the Italian bee. And um, they're thinking about trying to get some, some drone semen in there at the moment to mix up the, the genes. And I'm not really sure what type of barriers they've got in, in place for that. But, yeah, they've been isolated for a long time over there. Yes. And we've got some really great breeders here in the, the eastern states as well. So really cool, interesting stuff. And uh, you know some world-leading uh, type of tech, I guess you could say. So, do you know about the Horner system? Now, tell us about that. The, so, Joe Horner's system—it's really, really cool. So, he's a breeder here in uh, in Australia, and he does this system. It's called uh, time-delayed mating, which is ah, yes, yeah, yes, a yes. really cool system. It's 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 a pioneer. So, the family developed it together. Yes. And they, they do this time delayed mating. So they have this um, on his property. They've got this site where it's it's an uh, Sorry, it's an insulated shed where they keep the bees at 15 degrees throughout the day, and then they bring them out on these little train tracks. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, later in the afternoon, once all of the the feral drones have gone home, gone to bed, yep. and then they release their own drones. So it's really cool to see. And they've got all of these drone colonies where they release all of these drones from their own stock, the drone mothers. They fly out and the whole sky is just full of drones. You know, you just see them. They're coming out. They're flying everywhere. Just the, the sky is lit up yes. to heaps and heaps of drones. And then they bring out the little mating nukes on the train line. On the train, lines. Oh, the train line. That's yeah, awesome. they just come out in a little train track. It's like going to one of those amusement parks and you see the little trains coming out. It's just like that. But it's beehives, yeah. you know, the little, little four-way mating nukes. And they, they release the queens and it's cool. You stand there and you see, you know, and Joe uh, Joe Horner, he's the, the main breeder there, he, he's so excited. He's like, watch, 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 and, and you know, here, here it comes. And then then the queens start coming out Yeah, and they take off and they they they, they do the little orientation flight and then they come back in the next day, they take off and they go out and mate and it's a really cool system. So it's it's sort of... Sort of a natural way, you know, it's not artificial insemination, yes, control, delay, yeah, it's control, and it's mm. and it's it's you know, th- that only happens as far as I know here in Australia. So, yeah, you know, we've got some really pioneering kind of breeders here,
1: it, exactly. That's so, um, so true. Oh, now I've got to jump in. You said the word Cordovan, yeah, it's yeah, what's it, what's the other, what do I say? I say Cordovan, 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 yeah. I say Cordovan, and it just reminded me of a funny story with uh. Nigella Lawson, yeah, you know, the the TV chef. You know, most people say it's a microwave, but she calls it a microwavy. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so just reminding me of that, a microwavy. Yeah, what the hell, Nigella? She's my favourite um, TV celebrity chef. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um,
0: yeah, I always get corrected on the way I th- say things because a lot of times I, I just I read it and uh, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. And so yes. I was just interviewing a mate of mine in South Africa the other day, and they have the Apis mellifera scutellata. Yes, and I wasn't sure how to say it. Yes, and I said, is "This is how you say it." He said, "Yeah, no, we call them scoots. <laughs> we call them scoots for sure. Yeah. Exactly." So that that's an interesting story, by the way, If so, people here, listeners, they they would would have heard of the killer bee in the United yes. States. Yes, so. That, would, that happened. Have you heard the story of how that happened?
1: Yeah, it was in uh, Brazil, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. tell us though. We yeah, want to hear it. it's a
0: cool story. So in South Africa, they have um, the Cape Bee, which is just a, a bee in Cape Town and it's protected by a little mountain range and it's a very lovely bee, you know. F- people love working with it. And then over the mountain range, they've got the Apis mellifera scutulita, which is a very aggressive bee. Yes, Very aggressive bee, but... It's a really, really, a really good producer of honey. And, um, and, and it's actually, which is something I didn't know, they are able to naturally repel varroa. Mm. So they have varroa in Africa. Yes. And I, I, saw, I asked this uh, friend of mine, Moritz, uh, how, how, do do, how do you deal with varroa? And he said, oh, I've seen it a few times. But because they have a shorter life cycle, or sh- sh- sorry, a shorter cell cycle, um, they're able to not have a bit of a varroa issue. Oh, so they're, okay. they're, they're emerging from the cells earlier. And uh, so oh, what we normally used to is 21 days. They're emerging from the cell after 21 days as the workers. They're coming out a couple of days earlier, apparently. I didn't know this until speaking to her. But because of that, they're able to sort of deal with Varroa better yeah, than us. So even Varroa Varroa's in Africa, it's not an issue. Anyway, this uh, Scutellata, the scutes, they it was uh, a Brazilian scientist yeah. who thought... They they, were, they had apparently Italian bees in, in Brazil before that, but they weren't dealing too well with the tropical conditions. So they thought, all right, we need to bring in another bee and see if they can do better at producing honey in these tropical conditions. So he went to South Africa got this bee, the Scutellata, and they were doing research on it in Brazil. Um, Sao Paulo, is that how you say it? Oh, I should have checked on that. Sao Paulo? Sao Paulo? Sao Paulo? Sao Paulo. <laughs> Sao Paulo? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for Brazilian city. <laughs> <listening. laughs> I should have checked how to pronounce that. I looked at it, I thought, how do I how do I say that city? Anyway, that's the place where they were, and uh, and they were working on these scutellata bees and seeing. I oh, think yes, they're producing amazing um, honey crops, and you know they're okay to work with, a little bit aggressive, but this is really cool. And what they had is they had a queen excluder underneath the hive, yes. to stop the drones from getting out and to stop the queen from getting out, swarming out. So essentially, even though they were using these of bees, they thought, all right, well, it's, they're not going to go anywhere because they can't. And even though the workers are out flying around, that's no biggie. But what the story goes, and this is in the 50s, that a visiting beekeeper came to have a look at these bees and they're like, who has put these queen excluders at the bottom of the hives? That's not how you're supposed to do it. So they took them all <laughs> off and yeah. next minute... They're all gone and you can see it on Google if you search yes, up the, yeah. the killer bees. That's what they like calling them, the killer bees. Their progression through South America and then through Central America and then into the United States. They got there in about the 80s. And they, the technical name, I think, is Africanized honeybee. Yes. Um, which is the combination of the two. And they basically outbreed uh, all of the other bees. Yes. So if they go into an area, they just sort of outcompete them. And within a few years of them being in the area, they'll sort of be 90% of the feral population. Yeah, exactly. And also they're good at dealing with varroa, so.
1: Yeah, very yeah, yeah very interesting, isn't it? Mm, it's, yeah.
0: Interesting how the different bees are dealing with it. Yeah, no, certainly. And then the Russian honeybee as well, you know, they, they, they're a lot better at dealing with varroa because they sort of evolved at a similar time to them. Okay, you know, yes, good. yeah. The varroa's coming from Asia. And uh, the Russian honeybees, that they think it jumped from them into the European honeybees at some point. So Russian honeybees are a little bit better at dealing with it.
1: Isn't that fascinating? You know, mm. very, very interesting. Interesting.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Um, I got a, another question for you. Probably last question I got for you, Brent, is uh, wintertime. Now, what do you do to get ready for spring?
0: Well, I mean, I do a lot of my podcasts in winter. Yes, you know? yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I like to talk to people in the US. So I have to do that when it's their winter. Oh, okay. I've, yes, yeah, talking yep. to a few people, friends in New Zealand at the moment, and and a few friends here in Australia. But uh, you know, getting ready for you know, just getting ready. My hives. I'm doing all my numbers and doing all my calculations, and you know, keeping track of my breeding stock at, yeah, at the awesome. moment, yep. which is a big winter job, yeah. and uh, lots of sugar. Yes, yeah, <laughs> feeding it. Yeah, H-
1: hasn't the price gone through the roof though, hasn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was running a bit lowered sugar the other day, and well, I was like, Do you need to think of the supermarket? I, like, I love sugar, yeah, yeah, <laughs> 50,
1: <laughs> 53 kilo bags. Please love laugh. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah,
0: i um, always, always, yeah, they, they're just, especially in Ballarat this time of year, it's so cold, and um, I keep my bees in Ballarat over winter, yes, um, yeah. Well, you know, even before I lived in Ballarat, I kept them there in winter because that's where my mating station is, in yes, yep. Ballarat. And you know, when I lived in Geelong, I'd still go up there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so lots of sugar at the moment. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, winter, hopefully spring is coming soon. I've, I'm actually going tomorrow to check out a new canola site. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yes, so, yeah. You know, yes. That'd be great. Well,
1: wouldn't it be nice to have canola, like, you know, to breed up bees? Yeah. Um, you know, that went for six months of the year, wasn't it?
0: Oh, it would be good, but it does come at a perfect time. It does, you know, yes. right yeah. Right after winter. Right after and, winter. You know, kicks in early and it's still cold. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful plan. And for those people who are thinking about jumping on canola, it's um you've got to watch the swarming. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you've got to be mm. super careful with the swarming. So make sure the bees have got a lot of space. Um, younger queens are best. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so watch watch out for your swarming because they, they love swarming out on canola.
1: Exactly. That's yeah. Yeah. That's you have nice. to be
0: close enough as well because you know you got to make sure they're not creating those swarm cells. Jump in them pretty often to make sure that they're they're, they're staying on track. Otherwise, you you will lose them on canola.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No. I totally. Uh, totally agree. Um, that was awesome. That was a really good episode. Any um, last questions from me,
0: Brent? Uh, well, just uh, so what about you? What are you doing in winter?
1: Oh, so well for me, it's a case of. You know, I've learned. You know, I learned this long time ago to just have everything ready. Mm-hmm. And if you think you need ten of something, get twenty. Mm-hmm. If you think you need fifty or something, get hundred. You know, what I mean, it's kind of like that. So, you know, making boxes. So we sort of, uh, d- you know, all of those. I get the um, New Zealand, uh, a bit of um, Australian timber as well, uh, but mostly New Zealand timber um, boxes. Putting those together, frames, all those jobs. Got swarm boxes already with frames. Uh, so all of that, that's um, pretty much, um, yeah, getting ready for spring. So if I can have everything ready, even things like, say, having supers with frames in it ready to go, I've got a little storage joint down the road that I just have them all ready. So now it seems pretty basic, but, you know, when you've got to put, say, frames in 200 supers you know, ready for the honey flow, trust me, that can take some time. So I sort of look at a time management point of view. Go okay, you know, during winter, have little things like that done. You know, swarm boxes. You know, we've got all those ready with frames. So anything I can do now that's going to save time in spring, I do it. So, um, but that's pretty much it. And then, um, yeah, count down those days, and then it's like you know, hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that first sort of um, you know that first swarm, which is generally. Looking at history gone by, the first one we get in town in Melbourne's around that 30th to 31st of August. That's the first one. Uh, sometimes someone's are like more coastal or sort of like Brighton, morris type area. Um, so that's the first one. That's always exciting. And then, and then, um, yeah, hit the ground running, and mm-hmm. it's all systems go. So that's that's about my sort of what we're sort of doing. Um, but yeah, let's uh, sell a bit of honey this time of year, which is always nice, uh, just for that sort of I guess on a business. Uh, perspective to have that cash flow coming through so you know something a little bit of honey which is uh which is good fun but yeah that's uh, that's it and then i'm just looking forward to yeah spring then it's yeah all systems go
0: and what's plans for the next few years
1: oh just (laughs) plans for the next few years what's um just you know slowly and steady you know in it start to yeah just yeah slow and steady is kind of that um Plans, yeah, it's just continuing what I'm doing now, but just refining things, you know what I mean? Just trying to do things a little bit better, a little bit better is kind of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I I can't think of an example, but, you know what I mean, kind of just, yeah, probably more documentation. Mm -hmm. I've got an app on my phone, so it's connected to the guys, so we can all look at this, um, this app and know, okay, we've been at this site, this is what we need to do. Um, but that's, yeah, just refining things. I've got stickers made this year because usually if we do swarms, say we get one from, say, Ringwood or or Caulfield or something, we're using um, duct tape and right on the date, the date in the suburb of when we got that swarm. Uh, this year I've got stickers made up. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, stickers. So that's to actually say, so it looks a bit more professional. So we've got those uh, all ready to go. But that's about it. Yeah, that's. I'm um, looking forward to, um, to that spring and those first swarms and that's, yeah, looking forward to it. That's yeah,
0: yeah, great. It's yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having me in here today. And then once again, if any listeners out there interested in raising their own queens, uh, hit me up, and uh, I'd be happy to give you a hand. I did actually taught a few groups last year how to raise queens because all of a sudden, you know, there was an issue getting uh, queens in from New South yes, Wales. yeah. So I did a few groups and things like that. So if you're interested in learning, you want to know more, um, love chatting to people on the phone. So. Let me know, and uh if you're happy to help,
1: that's awesome. And thank you so much for making the drive. You know what yeah. I mean, that was near on two hour drive to to come into the studio this morning on a Sunday morning. No, uh, no, so no, th- so thank you, Brent. That was really uh,
0: that's great. Dad brought me up. We had a yeah. Chat on the way. Yeah, no, it's yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh,
1: bit of family time. That's awesome. So yeah. thank you so much for coming in.
0: No worries. All right. Thanks a lot.
1: Take care. Bye for now.